0: Uh, I'm gonna say no one's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow one. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, Miami Dolphins fans, welcome to the Wednesday, April 29th edition of Locked on Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, and we're going to take a look at the rest of these losers in the AFC East today. Something to look forward to. We're going to look at their NFL draft classes, see how the Dolphins did in comparison to division rivals in Buffalo, New England, and New York with the Jets. But before we get there, I want to talk about two interesting questions that I had received uh, throughout the course of the Power to the Pod crowdsourcing for yesterday's show. If you didn't listen to yesterday's show, stop what you're doing right now, go listen to Power to the Pod, which is yesterday's episode, in which the fans tell you and me what the show is about, and then come back and pick up. Nobody will even know that you went. Okay, You can hit it, pick it up right here. Had questions about the Miami Dolphins' backfield. Uh, One interesting question there, and I had a question about Curtis Weaver, the defensive end from Boise State, who the Dolphins traded up for in the fifth round of the 2020 NFL Draft. And more specifically regarding Curtis Weaver, why was he here? Because he's a really good football player. So I want to start talking about the Miami Dolphins' backfield because the Dolphins... They signed Jordan Howard in free agency, which was a huge get. Howard came into the league in 2016, and his first two years in the league, 2016-2017, rushed for a combined 2,400 yards. Bunch of production. Heavy hitter. About 250 carries apiece. Also had 250 carries in 2018, finished just short of 1,000 rushing yards on the season, which was uh, the Matt Nagy season. So first year with Matt Nagy. At the helm, Chicago Bears had big turnaround. Uh, But the style of offense that they ran saw Tariq Cohen, a running back, uh, who's still there in Chicago, get more of the touches. And then you had, last year, Howard in Philadelphia. And he looked like he got his bounce back. He looked a little bit more dynamic. Uh, Philly let him thrive between the tackles, which is where he's best. uh, But he didn't look limited. And then he got hurt, and the the job was transitioned to Miles Sanders, uh, second-round running back in last year's NFL draft, and the Eagles never looked back, so Howard's expendable, signs in Miami, two years, $9.8 million, or whatever the specifics were. He's going to be your feature back. The Dolphins trading for Matt Breida, huge win. I love the move. He is a very different style player. He's much more dynamic, explosive. Uh, San Francisco, well-documented for their outside zone concepts and wide zone concepts, so outside the tackles as a rusher. Not super productive as a pass catcher, but uh, he's had 20 catches in each of the last two years. I think his career high is 27. But I wouldn't hang my hat on Matt Breida being the pass catching back. And I think that's why the question that I received was, can you walk us through what we should expect the Dolphins backfield to look like? Because Howard and Brita obviously coming in they're they're going to be featured names, but like how many backs do should we expect to keep? You know, miles Gaskin was a draft pick pack. Patrick Laird was an undrafted free agent. Do we still keep Chandler Cox because of, of the, the offensive coordinator change? And the answer to that is yes. I do think you see the Dolphins keep Chandler Cox fullback from Auburn, who was a seventh round draft selection in last year's NFL draft. Uh, because he does fill a niche role on your roster that you would otherwise have no one to fill, even though they're going to use fullback less than what the New England Patriots Chad O'Shea-style offense ran last year. I still think this regime and coaching staff hand-selected Chandler It fits all the intangibles and in football character and, and work ethic pieces that the Dolphins want. He has some versatility. He can be a pass catcher out of the backfield. So I think that added value there, plus what he brings you on special teams. Chandler Cox will make the roster. So that's Howard, Cox, and Brita. I think you get one more. I think you do get a third back. Our options here are Kalen Bellage, Miles Gaskin, and Patrick Laird. And call me crazy, but I think Patrick Laird has the best chance to make the roster. Laird had less than 300 snaps on offense last year and still caught 20, 23 footballs on 30 targets for over 200 yards. And uh, the pass catching component looked really easy for him. And he's not spectacular in any physical aspect of his game, but he's quick. Uh, I, I do think his pass catching is what separates him from Miles Gaskin, uh, who was the team's seventh round pick. Uh, Gaskin was hoping Brita wasn't going to come into the picture because that would be the big play for Gaskin to say, oh, well, I'm the change of, pass, or change of pace guy, a little bit smaller scat back. No, nope. is here. I think that makes Gaskin expendable. Don't be one of those people, please, who knocks the Dolphins for spending a draft pick on a player that they're going to cut one year later. Because inevitably, somebody will say, wow, Dolphins are idiots. They wasted a draft pick, a seventh-round draft pick on Miles Gaskin and couldn't even make the roster in Team 2. Well, yeah, it's kind of point. point, seventh-round draft picks are effectively lottery tickets to begin with. And that's why I really like the move for Matt Brita because you're, you know what you're getting, an established three-year NFL running back with explosive qualities who's played at a high level at the NFL versus whatever running back you were going to draft in round five. So I think Brita bumps Gaskin off... And I don't think there's any way Kalen Balaj comes back next year. Seemed like he had like a weird attitude. I don't know if you guys remember, but it was like midway through the season he had like 70 rushing yards on probably close to 70 rush attempts, and he came out and said, "I I have nothing to prove," uh, which is a soundbite. You know, maybe is not necessarily how he intended for it to come across. But you make no mistake, as a young running back in the NFL who had half year career rushing yards come on 175 yard rushing touchdown as a rookie against Minnesota, which is more rushing yards than he was able to compile in all of 2019, you absolutely have something to prove. Uh, Balaj, straight line runner does not redirect well laterally when he's in the line of scrimmage, and he has bad vision. And his most appealing quality was supposed to be his pass-catching skills. And he was terrible in the passing game last year. So I have a really hard... like If it's between Laird and Belage, it's Laird all day long. We'll get that spot. Uh, he's more fluid. He's better in space. He's not as big or as strong. But he's much more agile, and he's a better actual catcher of the football. So I think Breida bumps Gaskin, and Laird's going to beat out Belage. And Belage, if he, he was supposed to be a receiving guy, nope, it'll be Laird. So for my money right now, barring changes and injuries, give me Howard and Breida as a one-two punch as primary ball carriers. Third down specialist Patrick Laird and fullback Chandler Cox, four backs on the roster in 2020. Very upgraded group. I'm very happy with that group. I think Howard is grossly slept on. uh, As far as what he brings, he is so solid. He's not spectacular in any area, but he's dense, he runs hard, he's young, he doesn't have super high mileage. Durability will be something to watch making sure he bounces back from the injury that ended his season last year. But that's, that's your primary backfield for the Miami Dolphins. The other question I had, uh, why did Curtis Weaver fall in the 2020 NFL draft? And I wish I had a good answer for you, but I don't because it didn't make a lot of sense for Weaver to fall as far as he did. Now I did put together, uh, a list of bullet points here that that seem to indicate at least some variables. If you looked at Curtis Weaver, he's 6'2", 265. He's not the most prototypical build because he's more squatty. Uh, He's not super long. I know some NFL scouts had expressed concerns regarding his body composition and and, and maybe needing to uh, trim down on his playing weight a little bit to get him a little bit more dynamic. But then his length is the big problem. 32 and 38 inch arms is below the 10th percentile for NFL pass rushers off the edge. It's not a backbreaker for me. I mean, if he was 31 and a half, then yeah, we have a problem because your tackle radius is small. Your ability to hit hand counters and win with rush counters is greatly limited. 32 and a half is not ideal, and it was undoubtedly one of the variables that in impacted Curtis Weaver's tumble down the draft boards. But that wasn't it. It wasn't just, oh, he's short-armed, he's not going to make it. The Athletics' Dane Brugler did indicate as well that some NFL scouts may have had an issue with Weaver's maturity as well. Uh, So I think this was a smorgasbord of variables that all blended together for us to have this end result in Miami trading up to 164 to go get Curtis Weaver. Uh, but if you watch his tape, he abuses pretty much anybody he goes against. His production is phenomenal uh, as far as sack production, backfield production. Uh, I think he has a little bit of two-point stance release upside as well. I'm not going to sit here and say that we you know, play him as in, in the Kyle Van Noy role. I certainly think that's a misuse of his skills. But I think he can play wider alignments as the end man on the line of scrimmage. Three years at Boise State. Curtis Weaver logged 34 sacks and 47 half-tackles for loss. Really good football instincts. But he's a little short. He's probably a little heavier than what you're ideally going to want to play him as. He's a little short in the arms. And there's some questions about maturity. All of those things in this weird COVID-19 climate for the NFL trying to like steamroll ahead and keep everything on schedule. Uh, he's probably somebody whose draft stock was hindered by the travel restrictions and the limitations of access to players and, and not having that one team that really had the chance to like get really comfortable with him so that they could buy him with it being in line with where his tape aligned and suggested that he would be. That's good for the Dolphins. That's great news for the Miami Dolphins. They get a steal there with Curtis Weaver. I think he can be a six-to-eight sack-a-year guy. And the Patriots model has load up on six of those guys, and you're fine. And between Christian Wilkins on the inside and Shaq Lawson and Daniel Agba and Curtis Weaver and Kyle Van Noy as a linebacker in the same role, you got plenty of those guys. Raekwon Davis, I think, could be a... uh, I don't want to say 8 to 10, let's say, let's say a 4 to 8 sack a year guy on the interior. But he's got all the traits to be even better. If you're like me, you're probably thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food and that's why I love Postmates. But I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without even leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they've created non-contact deliveries. So when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants. Listen, you guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. I've only been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi, they actually make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it right outside the door. So just download Postmates from iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNFL. That's code "Locked NFL" for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Hope you guys are excited. About this week. This week kind of letting the dust settle. And looking around the landscape of the rest of the league. And seeing what some of these other teams did. I have a good appreciation for what Miami brought to the table. And one of the things that we're going to do today. Is look through what the rest of the AFC East specifically did. Because it's relevant to us now. Last year everybody knew going into the year. Miami's not going to compete for diddly poo. They're not in a position. They hit the reset button. They're rebuilding. Whatever. This year. You could make the case this is anybody's ball game. And I understand the Patriots still have Bill Belichick, and we'll start there. Patriots originally had first-round pick and nothing until the late third round. Well, they traded back a bunch because that's what the Patriots frickin' do. And the end result was the Patriots picked safety Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan at 37, pass rusher Josh Uche at pick 60, who they traded up to, by the way, Pass rusher slash linebacker Anthony Jennings from Alabama at 87. Tight end Devin Asai, Asai from UCLA at 91, who they also traded up to go get. Tight end Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech at 101, who they also traded up to go get. We have this kicker for Marshall. That's in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Uh, at 159. 182. Offensive lineman Michael Nguyenu, who I have pounded the table for as a late-round option for the Dolphins, uh, they traded up to go get him as well. They gave up 212 and 213 to go up to 182. Offensive tackle Justin Heron from Wake Forest at pick 195. And then 204, Cass Mylua from Wyoming, a linebacker, and 230, Dustin Woodard, an offensive lineman from Memphis. The biggest impact player on this this draft class is probably going to be Josh Uche, and if you ask me, who the second biggest impact player would be, it would be Devin Esai-Sai, because the Patriots are going to be that team this year that runs the ball thirty five times a game and plays hard nosed defense. Their quarterbacks are Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer. They have no cap space. They are going to run the hell out of the ball. So Devin Asai-Sai, Uh Really liked his skill set coming out of UCLA. Really nimble and athletic for a big guy. Uh, Some good run-after-catch potential there. I think he's a pretty high-ceiling guy. I think he's going to be a pain in our butts for a while. Josh Uche uh, will probably step into the Kyle Van Noy role. uh, That's been vacated, obviously, with Miami plucking Van Noy. Kyle Duggar's an interesting one. Uh, Pick 37. I was surprised they didn't go Jeremy Chin. If I was going to pick one of those two small school guys, I would have picked Jeremy Chin first. He's two years younger than, than Duggar. I think he's got f- higher baseline of football IQ than Duggar. But they wanted the splash athlete, and Bill Belichick wants a guy that he's going to get his hands on and, and mold, and that's fine. I don't know how many year one contributors you have on this, this draft class. I think Duggar, as a pure athlete, will get reps, but he will have ups and downs. Uche should have a positive impact. Anthony Jennings is an early down guy. And then the two tight ends, Asai Sai and Dalton Keene, I think Asai Sai will have a pretty prominent impact. Dalton Keane is a little bit more of like a, a flex tight end Swiss Army knife type. So he'll he'll probably be a steady chain mover, but he's not going to be like a mismatch nightmare that you really struggle with, in my opinion. That's the Patriots draft class on top of everybody that they lost. The quarterback situation that they have, they have no money to add anybody. They are going to be that pain-in-the-butt team that tries to grind you out because I don't see them and Josh McDaniels continuing the way that they played in years past with Tom Brady trying to play that style with Jarrett Stidham. Buffalo Bills made the playoffs last year. Went out and traded their first-round pick for Stephon Diggs, wide receiver from Minnesota. It's a big splash play for them. Diggs is a good deep ball receiver. Um, The problem is Josh Allen's not a good deep ball thrower. Josh Allen had this big arm coming out of Wyoming and slowly evolved into a really good quick game passer and inside 10 yards and rhythm. And if it's in rhythm, he's going to hum it. But if he tries to, you know, get outside of structure, he's much more potent with his legs than what he is trying to throw the ball deep down the field. He does not have good timing with his deep ball. So that will be an interesting challenge to watch for Buffalo, is how does Stephon Diggs acclimate and build chemistry there? Uh, the Bills, with their draft picks, Epinesa, A.J. Epenesa, defensive end from Iowa at 54, running back Zach Moss at 86, wide receiver Gabriel Davis at 128. He was from uh, Central Florida, Quarterback Jake Fromm at 167 from Georgia, 188 kicker Tyler Bass from Georgia Southern, 207 Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State, and 239 cornerback Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh. So who are the contributors in this draft class in year one? Uh, won't be Dane Jackson. Buffalo, I, I think they've got a little bit too much depth in the secondary. Isaiah Hodgins is going to get a marginalized, in my opinion, by... Uh, the Bills have a really good wide receiver room, and they added Stephon Diggs to it, and they added their third draft pick in Gabe Davis to it. And Gabe Davis is another big-bodied, vertical, heightweight weight, speed guy down the field. Uh, so I don't think Hodgins will contribute. Tyler Bass, obviously, as a kicker, might make an impact. Jake Fromm, probably QB3 there. Might be QB2, might meet, beat out Matt Barkley, but I doubt it. Uh, they got a a young quarterback in Josh Allen who really struggles with decision-making and consistency. I don't think they'd want to turn the keys over uh, to the backup role to a rookie. So you're looking realistically at Gabe Davis, Zach Moss, and Epinesa. Uh, I know the Bills fans love Devin Singletary. Running back last year is a pain in the butt to tackle in short spaces. He's really physical and dense. Zach Moss is a bigger version of the exact same player. (laughs) So... um, Buffalo's not going to beat you in the running game with speed. They are going to try and run downhill at you, and that's why I really like what the Dolphins have done with their defensive line. They are constructing a bunch of bangers up front between Raquan Davis and Shaq uh, Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba and Christian Wilkins and Devon Cotton. Like they've got horses, and then you got Raquan McMillan behind it, and you got speed with Jerome Baker to scrape sideline to sideline. I really like Miami's construction right now in how they are trying to challenge both the Patriots and the Bills as teams that run the football. And then the Jets obviously went out and got McKay back in in the first rounds. And, and he was as good of a point of attack and power guy as you could possibly find. So Miami's fighting fire with fire here. So you want to run downhill at us? That's fine. We're not going to get ba- gap penetration, guys, and get ro- ridden out of gaps. We're going to lock horns with you and stalemate everything, and our athletes on the second level are going to be better than your backs. And that's the case in New England and in Buffalo. Epinesa might be a problem. Uh, He beat the brakes off of Austin Jackson in the bowl game, so that's not ideal. Um, Epinesa is, however, someone who... Uh, maybe getting some consideration to kick inside and play a little bit of defensive tackle and three technique as well. His athletic profile really uh, came up short at 275. If he would have came in at like 290, 295 pounds and tested the way that he did, you'd be great. But he came in at 275 and ran like sub five seconds or over five seconds in the 40 and sub 20 on the bench press and I don't think he, he, he might have got like 31 on the vert. Uh, barely got under seven and a half seconds at the three cones. So like, not a dynamic athlete. He I mean, wins with power. So if you get Austin Jackson cleaned up, uh, I'm looking forward to the battle f- between those two guys. But there's no question, A.J. Epinesa took uh, the the matchup when those two guys played in the bowl game this past year. Epinesa's a good fit for Buffalo and Coach McDermott. Up there. I think he will be a positive contributor early on in this pro career. Zach Moss will be a positive contributor early on. Gabe Davis, maybe not so much, but at least in the rotation. And those are the contributors you're looking for, looking at for the Bills. Which brings us to the Jets. The damn Jets. They plucked Makai Becton at eleven. They plucked wide receiver Denzel Mims at 59, who was in conversation as a potential late first-round guy. They plucked Ashton Davis, the safety from Cal, two picks ahead of the Dolphins at 68. They drafted Jabari Zaniga, defensive end from Florida at 79. At 120, they drafted running back LaMichael Pirine from Florida. 125, they got a new backup for Sam Darnold with QB James Morgan from Florida International. 129, they drafted offensive tackle Cameron Clark from Charlotte, who was one of my favorite developmental tackle prospects. 158, they drafted corner Bryce Hall from Virginia, who used to have some first-round buzz before he got hurt this past year with a really nasty ankle injury. And then they drafted punter Braden Mann at 191. These Jets had a good draft class, man. Joe Douglas' first NFL draft in New York with the Jets, and they knocked this out of the park. They got Plus value at all of their picks early on. The only pick that I didn't love was Jabari Zuniga, but I know I'm generally lower on him than the consensus. Uh, Becton, Mauler up front brings a brand new attitude to that line that they don't have. Denzel Mims at 59 is unbelievable value. You know they could have gone with wide receiver in the first round. Elected to. Uh, attack the whittling d- depth of a top offensive tackle prospect and come back to wide receiver, and they got a guy that a lot of people had you know, as a potential top five wide receiver in this class. Ashton Davis, two picks in front of the Dolphins, hurts like hell, uh, especially because Greg Williams' defense loves to play deep single high, and he's playing 15 to 20 yards off the ball. That'll be Ashton Davis, and he will thrive in that role. The good news for the Jets, and I talked about this a little bit today on the uh, Draft Dudes with Joe Marino, who's a Buffalo Bills fan, uh, who's my colleague at the Draft Network. Uh, the, the Jets, I don't love their corner room, and I don't love their edge rush group. So they got good safeties between Jamal Adams and Marcus May and, and uh, Ashton Davis, and they got physical hitters on the interior defensive line. But nobody who's going to penetrate gaps and really stress you other than if Quinn and Williams flips the switch. They're linebackers that are athletic, but their edge rush group and their corner group is soft, in my opinion. It's the weak spots on their roster. So if you're looking for an area to beat the Jets, I'm working outside. I'm going quick game, building in play action, You can go deep set if you want, and you can take deeper, like seven-step drop game, so routes that take a little bit longer to develop, and you can generally trust you're not going to get a ton of interruption off the edge. And if you don't, your receiver should be able to break off some separation against these guys. So intermediate level seems like the right spot to beat the Jets, or you can go quick game. Uh, and just attack them if they're playing soft coverage because they're scared of getting beat over the top. All in all, I think the Jets had the best class out of the rest of the AFC East. Jets probably had the best overall class in the AFC East because Becton, Mims, Davis, P. Ryan with a developmental tackle in Cameron Clark and a day three steal equivalent to what the Dolphins got in Curtis Weaver with cornerback Bryce Hall there, that's a hell of a class. They had less volume, and they got just as many impact guys, in my opinion, as what the Dolphins did. Becton will be a plug-and-play starter. Mims might be their best receiver right out the shoot. Ashton Davis is going to start at free safety for them. P. Ryan is the backup to Le'Veon Bell. You got three starters, in my opinion, and a, a second down back. Dolphins obviously getting quarterback who may not start this year. Two starters in the offensive line between Robert Hunt and Austin Jackson. Starting nickel corner. Uh, Raekwon Davis, I'm not going to peg him as a starter. He's going to be a prominent player. He's probably going to play over 50% of the snaps. Curtis Weaver is a potential late-round steal. If Tua was going to plug and play and he was going to start right away and he's healthy, you'd say the Dolphins are going to have the most high impact, no questions asked. But I think the Jets, because their roster was bad, and Joe Douglas just got there is probably going to give the, the Dolphins a run for the highest impact rookie class, but the Dolphins with that volume and Tua Valo in the mix, I think they're going to be the draft class that is the cream of the crop for the AFC East when we look back on this in a few years because of that quarterback situation. Hope you guys enjoyed this look at the AFC East. I know I don't enjoy talking about the GD Jets and the Patriots and the Bills, but... To know thy enemy is to know thyself. And we got to know ourselves and the rest of the AFC East here on this episode of Locked on Dolphins. I'm Kyle Krabs. Come back tomorrow. We got two more shows this week. Lots of recap, and We're going to take some deep dives into these rookies, as I promised. But this seemed like as good a chance of any now that the dust has settled to really dig through and look at the AFC East, the landscape, how these draft classes are going to impact the Dolphins. And we did that today. I'll be back tomorrow with some more of your Miami Dolphins football. So keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins.